Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talk's TV and movie show. This week on the show, as Downton Abbey opens its doors once more, I chat to Ireland's own Alan Leach, aka Tom Branson, about his return to the beloved TV show and now, of course, second movie, Downton Abbey A New Era, which Mark Ryle will also be reviewing. Making films on iPhones, we hear about an intriguing film festival taking place this weekend. Plus, the one and only Eamon Dunphy chats about his favourite movie. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. Good weekend to you all. Hope you're doing well, enjoying some of this lovely weather as summer comes into view. Had a very strange week. I was busy, but my wife, for the first time in three years, left. She left me. No, she uh, went away for work for two days. And, you know, that, that hasn't happened in a long time because of COVID and all that. And uh, the house fell apart. I mean that figuratively, literally, in every sense of the phrase. Three children and a husband bereft. As Joni Mitchell said, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. So uh, we've agreed she's never going away again. Or certainly not until our three-year-old is about 30. It's probably plenty of time. Anyway, hope you're all well. In TV this week, I was watching this. What a way to start the week. Right. Uh, but I've got, been getting a lot of calls, very positive feedback. Full disclosure, I'm really happy you're here. Great. I'd love to see the whole film. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they just want to give it a polish before you see it. Who's they? The editor and his uh, assistant. But you're the producer. I mean, it seems a bit odd to be polishing something that might be pulled apart. Pulled apart? Well, I mean, nothing's off the table at this stage, is it? No, no, that, that's, that's right. Uh, yeah. Am I at this table? Yeah, of course you are. Phew. We both are. Good. Now, that's a clip from a TV show that started on Channel 4, I think the week before last, called Chivalry, co-written by Stephen Coogan and Sarah Soleimani, who you heard there both talking. And they play interesting characters in that Steve Coogan plays a film producer who's desperately trying to become woke, uh, to put it in a certain way. He's, a, I suppose, a quintessential film producer. He's all about making the movie. He's all about sleeping with women. He's not a terribly nice man, but he may be a character who's on the verge of reforming. And then you have Sarah Soleimani, who plays a hotshot, very cool film director who's kind of an indie darling, who's been brought in to save his latest movie. This is Steve Coogan's project. It's a war film, and they've had a director who was far too old school, and it hasn't been right, and it hasn't been in keeping with the times, and they have to hire in an intimacy consultant. As I say, it's co-written by Coogan and Soleimani, who work together on the film Greed. And and I'm not sure if it's semi-autobiographical, but I think that's where the impetus came. And I suppose it begins as a humorous look at modern Hollywood and, and certain old dinosaurs trying to respond to a new way of doing things and a better way of doing things and, and, and the Me Too era. But 
and that's very funny at times and there's some great cameos in it and I won't say who but like really unexpected ones it's also really funny uh, Steve Coogan and Soleimani are brilliant in it but it kind of changes into a very smart nuanced rom-com as well uh, it's six episodes Coogan is on sensational form you know a bit like he was in the trip in that it's it's he's being serious and he's being funny and he's great at that and Soleimani is brilliant in it as well as this hotshot director who has her own problems this is on all four it's on channel four weekly but it's on all four if you have that you can download all six episodes I think we watched it before my wife left I think we watched it in two nights it's great really funny really sharp a lot of heart i know i say that a lot but a good sitcom has to have heart so chivalry on channel four and all four is great serious thumbs up from me and uh might be a good one for you to binge quickly because they're only 30 minutes each and there's only six of them that's chivalry on all four now have a listen to this Ah, yes, the fable sounds, the theme tune of Downton Abbey. And we have a new Downton Abbey movie, Downton Abbey, A New Era. I am, I'm a big Downton Abbey fan, always have been. Uh, I enjoyed the last movie. I mean, I thought it was possibly pointless, but I still enjoyed it. And the second one is with us, Downton Abbey, A New Era. And what's going on here is two things mainly. A film crew are coming to Downton and they're going to make a movie using the house as a backdrop. And... Maggie Smith's character, the, the, the matriarch of, of all of the Downton Abbey inhabitants, has, for some bizarre reason, come into possession of a villa. So half of the cast go off to the south of France to see what's going on, and there may be some intrigue afoot. It's classic Downton. It's slightly daft, but it's joyful. Alan Leach, who you know is Irish, has been in all sorts of things like Bohemian Rhapsody and the TV series Rome. And of course, he played Tom Branson as the chauffeur who becomes part of uh, the Crawley family in Downton Abbey. And he's been all through the series. He's been in the first movie and now the second one. He has a big part in this. It begins with his wedding and then he goes off to the south of France and comes back. And he's great in it, as always, as, as the chauffeur. The agitator, I guess he was. He was into his politics and his socialism and the working man. And he's now still trying to be that guy, albeit in the upstairs of the Downton setup. Anyway, I got to talk to Alan Leach this week and it was in person, which was lovely because he was over in Dublin. So take a listen to this. So, Alan, I went to see this Monday morning. I dropped the kids off to school and I'm a hardened you know, movie reviewer at this day who's jaded and tired and all that kind of stuff. And the music came on and I just had this lovely smile and I just felt lovely for two hours. And you know, as I say, I'm a hardened cynic at this stage. Do you have a sense of how much love there is out there for Downton Abbey? Because it's kind of bizarre in a way. Just it's so esteemed in people's hearts. It really is always so lovely to hear people who are so excited about the, about the, about the show and then about the movies. And we still don't like we are so blown away by it but we still yeah. don't understand what it is exactly <laughs> that has it and even Julian Fellows says himself he said well if I knew what it was I'd bottle it and sell it <laughs> <laughs> so he um it, it is something that's very special and the fact that 
people were, were, were so heartening to us as a cast even with the first movie we were like how's this going to go mm. and obviously it did incredibly well mm. much better than anyone really expected so and the, the response when we say oh there's going to be another one the, the excitement that people seem to have is something that is really really special yeah and they're talking about all sorts of things it's going to save cinema this year and you know it's, wow. it's yeah I know it's huge listen you know this started a long time ago now when you look at things and you were and you know the character arc as well known you were this agitator of sorts who mm. was the chauffeur and now you've moved upstairs and you're in the thick of the family you know mm. did you have any sense when you started in 2010 I think it was yeah. that it was going to go on this long or what your character's arc would be I had absolutely no idea it and was just a gig it was just a gig it was, yeah. just, it was three eps of yeah. a gig you know three yeah that's all I had and then I remember Jim Carter turned to me and says I'll see you on the next gig like as in who knows when yeah. or where and it was only, I actually came back to Dublin then and did a, a play in the Dublin Theatre Festival, Phaedra with Rough Magic. And I remember getting a text from Michelle going, this is insane. And I had no idea what she was talking about. Yeah. But it was the reaction to the first like, couple of episodes in London or in the UK. Yeah. And it was only then when I came back to London and we all got together actually to watch it live, the last episode. Okay, on and TV. On TV, like just, yeah, we all sat in a, in a, in a bar. And we rented out a bar and we just sat there and watched it. <laughs> And it was then that Gareth Neen, the exec producer, was like, I, I think we need to start talking about coming back. <laughs> but it literally was there, you know, he, yeah. it was only, and then, and then the reaction in America was something that happened in the new year in 2011. Mm. Um, and no one really expected that to happen either because they went out on PBS, which yeah. was a public broadcasting network. Yeah. So it, it was really bizarre that people seemed to gravitate to it and find it it was yeah. definitely word of mouth and still are and listen in terms of your character you know I mentioned he was kind of an agitator mm. or so but has Julian in particular and I suppose you've been keen to despite the fact that he's moved upstairs as I said keep him with his I don't want to say socialist roots but yeah. as in that he still be that man of integrity we met all those years ago that seems to be an important part for him and for you I it was definitely for me as well I didn't want um, Tom to just get kind of wrapped up in this world that he yeah. found himself in I wanted him always to have kind of to be the voice of reason and to be the voice of the, the normal man the man mm -hmm. on the street the man who you know the working man yeah. and I'm very glad that Julian has kept that and if, if anything has happened like something that happens in this story he finds himself kind of really trying to justify all of this wealth and opulence and yeah. trying to find a way of making it work for the working man or at least to, to hire people or to 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 give something back. And I, I've loved that he's always had that sensibility. Yeah, your scenes and we've got to be really careful about giving anything away. But, yeah. you know, your scenes with Maggie Smith are beautiful at times. Yeah, you, you, you I know it's acting, right? As mm. Olivia said, it's called acting. Like, yeah. that's what we yeah. do. But you get the sense that maybe you and her, have you gotten close outside of Downton? We have. I think we've, we've all been lucky. Um, myself and Michelle and Laura and Hugh, we, uh, all of us really have been very lucky to, to get time w with Maggie, not only on, on screen, but also just, just hanging around with her like and, and talking in between takes, in between scenes and just sharing stories. And what's so lovely about her is she's as interested in what you're up to as you are in what yeah, she's doing as she well. She's really, really wonderful and, and would, would never give advice directly. It would just simply be, you know, this is what what's happened with me or this is what's happened. Like she's just really, really lovely and open, but someone who we're all in awe of when you watch her. And even in this movie, there's one moment where she literally picks up a prop and what she does with the prop without saying anything. Yeah, is 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 so wonderful that someone can sh can emote in such a way 
it's just such a gift and it's such a, a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, still, I think one of the acting masterclasses is after in the show when my my uh, first wife dies, she has a moment where she has to cross the great hall and she starts it as a broken woman, mm. this walk and halfway through and it's just her back. You mm. see her make the decision that she has to be the matriarch and she she basically breaks your heart with the back of her head yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah, and that's yeah. all you get to see and it's the most it's just she's she's a very very talented woman so it's a gift yeah listen finally outside of Downton a movie I loved Jim was Bohemian Rhapsody oh thanks and Printer they always just call him by his second yeah. name you know in a way he's the villain of the Freddy story mm. because you know he might have started out with possibly good intentions but becomes a bad guy mm-hmm. in, in a certain respect but yet I got the impression you were trying to bring a certain I don't know, empathy to him as well, yeah, because he was he was a lonely man as well, the way Freddie was, given the fact that he was gay. And all. Was was that, did you see him as a more nuanced than just the bad guy? I got the sense you did. I, I really did, and I think it's, it's only fair when you play someone who really did exist, like Paul Prenter was a man. I don't believe the way he was written in the, in the first uh, couple of iterations of the script, he was just a villain. And I wanted to play him as a man who did get caught up in the world that he was in, and maybe the power that Freddie had, because I think they were both two very lonely men. Yeah. And I think they found solace in each other's company. And um, I, I did really want to play him with empathy. And I, and I, I love the scene that we got to do where he when he gets fired, because in a way I, I wanted to show it's lash and rain. Yeah. And and that sense that once again, the character is alone. Yeah, he is alone. I, put, well, I, should, I say character, the man, yeah, yeah. Paul Prenter was alone again. But um, also in a movie like that, Although I played Paul Prenter, he's actually an amalgamation of maybe three or four people who had an influence over Freddie. And obviously for the sake of simplicity within the, within within movie making, sometimes that happens as well. Yeah. But, but I really appreciate you, you noticing that. So oh, yeah. You. No, absolutely. Well, listen, you were great in that and you're great in Downton Abbey. You don't need me to tell you that because it's going to go gangbuster. So oh, continued success. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you. Alan Leach there chatting to me about his acting life and times in Bohemian Rhapsody and of course Downton Abbey, A New Era, which is now in cinemas and lovely to see Alan in the flesh. Now, I want to quickly tell you about a very intriguing film festival that's taking place on Saturday. Well, all week in a certain sense, but particularly on Saturday, April 30th in the IFI. It's the Dublin Smartphone Film Festival 2022, now in its fifth year. But because COVID is whatever, we won't say over, of course, but things are getting back to normal in some fashion. It's going to be in person in part. And I'm delighted to say its founder and director, Robert Fitzhugh, joins me now to quickly tell me about it. Robert, how are you? Not too bad, John. How are things? Very good. So listen, the clues in the title, Dublin Smartphone Film Festival. In the IFI, people who go along to this on Saturday will see films, short films, but I understand maybe some longer ones as well, feature-length ones, that are filmed entirely on people's smartphones. Absolutely, yeah. So on the Saturday in particular, it's kind of a jam-packed day. We have a class in the morning where we'll be shooting and editing our own short films in and around the IFI and editing on the big screen. And then we have a shorts program. So it's all short films that are shot on mobile phones from filmmakers around the world. We have a a premiere of a documentary from uh, South Africa, which is quite moving. And then uh, it's our first year, given that we've partnered with the IFI. So we're in a position to show features. So we're showing a feature film it's about 74 minutes long and it's filmed on um, an iPhone and it's from Australia. It's called One Punch and it's excellent. And what happens in One Punch, roughly? Roughly, One Punch is a story, uh, well, the title, the name is, uh, the, the clue's in the title, but it's basically about a young man and the relationship he has with his father and how this builds up to a, a somewhat traumatic event that happens. 
But the mm-hmm. great thing about the film is that it was shot kind of incognito around the streets in Australia. So they were out in real locations, shooting on their phones, you know, kind of avoiding the larger production aspect of it. So it has a really kind of nice kind of raw feeling. They were filming in nightclubs and things like that. So there's a lot of kind of energy to it, um, mm. which you might not necessarily get with some more of the larger productions. Okay. And so when a, a, a film is filmed on a smartphone for this festival or indeed any other one, when we talk about smartphone films, is it on one phone or a whole group of phones, or I guess it can be anything? Yeah, it's, 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 it's sometimes it's a multitude of phones. Sometimes you have people attaching phones to drones and flying them mm. around. I mean, the, the impetus for the idea really was just about this concept that expensive equipment didn't really need to be a barrier to creativity. So a lot of mm. times people would be like, oh, I can't make a movie because I can't afford a you know a camera that costs 20 grand. And it was really just about making the focus more on the storyteller and the person controlling whatever camera it was. So that was kind of the impetus for the idea. So yeah, all the shorts, we get hundreds of submissions every year from filmmakers around the world. Uh, sometimes they're just trying it out for the first time. Sometimes they're professionals who, you know, who, who, who are, who are well-rooted in the industry and it's a broad range, but really it's, it's, it's this idea that I suppose it, democratizes filmmaking a little bit and says, listen, you have a powerful camera in your pocket and you can go out there and you can tell whatever story you want. And the festival is kind of a culmination of that every year where it shows the kind of best films around the world. And generally, I mean, I showed it, I was testing a film in the IFI the other day and one of the staff came up to me and she goes, are you telling me that was filmed on a phone? And I said, that's the exact response that we want from our audience when they come in. Well, well, that's just what I was going to ask you because you talk about the democratization. I can't say that word. You yeah, know what I mean? Neither can I. Neither can of- I. Of movie making because of smartphones, but I suppose the doubting Thomas in me would say, yeah, but I mean, you know, there's a reason why people have these expensive cameras that, you know, we're talking about Downton Abbey this week on the show. You know, you get great movies when you get great rigs, but I presume you're of the opinion these movies work just as well or certainly as well in a way that they're watchable. Yeah, I mean, there is a, I will say there's a marked difference. Cream does rise to the top. There's a marked difference between the filmmakers out there who understand the tool that they're using and maybe the filmmakers who are trying something out for the first Mm -hmm. time. But the power of the camera is secondary to the, I suppose, the fundamentals of lighting and the fundamentals of, of, of filmmaking that these filmmakers have acquired. So a lot of times you'll watch films in the cinema and you'll be like, you know, and, and, and the other thing is the audience doesn't really know or care what something's filmed on. So oftentimes filmmakers are very concerned about how something looks because they're very concerned about what other filmmakers will think about it. But for an audience, they just want to get wrapped up in the story. And I always use the example of, 28 days later when that first came out and that was shot on grainy camera and everyone was like the sky is falling this is the end of the world and again you watch that 28 days later and you go well that film doesn't really look good but it also ties very much into the aesthetic of the film it's very much on brand with what the film is about and 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 it it adds to that experience and i'm not one of these people that says you should use a phone for everything Mm -hmm. but i think if it's if it's the only camera you have access to then 100 it shouldn't be a blocking point Absolutely. And, you know, and not to, you know, use a sporting analogy, but, you know, Maradona and people in the slums of Argentina and Brazil put socks rolled up together to make a football, you know, so absolutely, I, I, I'm all for this kind of stuff. So I, I don't wish to appear snobby in <laughs> any way. And hopefully there's young filmmakers listening to this who might pick up their smartphones. So just tell people then if they are to go to the IFI on Saturday, give us a sense of what will be taking place there during the day. 
So during the day, you've got the class in the morning. That's what it starts off. Uh, that's from 10 to 12. There's going to be an immersive class. We're going to be wandering around. We're going to be coming up with ideas. We're going to be shooting on the fly. We're going to be having a lot of good fun utilizing the building and the city outside. Um, and then after that, there's going to be a selection of short films from around the world. And then there is a premiere um, of a South African short. And then you've got your feature. And then there's a networking event. And then after that, the IFI are putting on um, an advanced screening of a film um, from the director of Host. His name is Rob Savage. Um, and he has a new film from Blumhouse Productions called Dashcam, which is all filmed, as you can imagine, on phones and dash cams. Mm. Um, and it's about a musician uh, and the night she has driving around the city. And it's excellent and it's creepy and um, it's well worth uh, viewing by anyone who potentially wants to stay on for the evening or show up late and watch that movie. Yeah, sounds fascinating. And then during the week, there are other some online events and things taking place. Absolutely. We wanted to cater over the years. We, we It actually took us a, a longer while to build up an Irish community than it did to build up an international community. I think people were a little bit more resistant to, to, to it at the start. So we have a huge international community. So we've been, we have a lot of events catered for them. It's really around the future of, of film. So we have, mm. we have classes on, on virtual production, you know, Unreal with using your phone. We have classes on how to shoot underwater. We actually have a class on NFTs and how to fund your films using NFTs. But we do have a practical workshop on Thursday the 5th um, and that we partnered with an Irish um, app manufacturer called Volograms. And if anyone wants to check Volograms who's listening, it's an incredible app that allows you to scan yourself into a 3D model onto your phone. And we have an exciting workshop where we're going to be doing that and we're going to be coming up with stories and there's cash prizes and free beer and free pizza. So that's on May 5th um, in the Guinness Enterprise Centre. Is there a handy website people can go to to find out more? There is. It's dubsmartphonefilmfestival.com or if you find that too long <laughs> like knew? I do. Yeah, if you find that too long like I do, you can just look up dubsmartff.com. Dubsmartff.com. Well, it is a brave new world and I salute you, Robert. That is Robert Fitzhugh, the founder and director of the Dublin Smartphone Film Festival, taking place largely this Saturday, April the 30th in the IFI. But also you can find out more on the aforementioned website for the events that are taking place all week long. Robert, thanks a million. Thank you so much. Up next, Don't Nabby gets the Mark Ryle treatment. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now before the break, I was talking to Alan Leach, a star of Downton Abbey. And clearly on that interview, I enjoyed the movie Downton Abbey, A New Era. But more importantly, did Mark Ryle. In fact, he is the Mrs. Packmore to my... Oh, I won't bother doing that. Mark, how are you? The daisy to your Mrs. Patmore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in some fashion. Or maybe you're the cousin Matthew to my lady Just leave Mary. It, yeah, yeah I'll leave, leave it. it. I'll leave, leave it. I'll it leave it a daisy. <laughs> You're a daisy. Okay. <laughs> Don't nabby. So uh, just, we were talking about it before the break, but uh, mm-hmm. just tell people what's going on in this one. All right. Well, this is the, the second big screen Downton movie. And uh, for the second movie, Julian Fellows, I think he's adopted the, the Empire Strikes Back structure. Uh, he's essentially split up, the, had the band. So uh, half the characters get packed off to the south of France and then the rest are left holding the fort and dealing with a leaky roof. So it's, white knuckle stuff again as usual um now downton abbey a new era is it's set at the end of the 1920s and things kick off 
with the wedding of Tom Branson to his new love, Lucy Smith, who, who showed up in the previous movie. Um, after, after that, the, the story splits into two main plots. And the, the A plot, I suppose, is, the, is about the, the dowager countess inheriting a villa in the south of France from a former lover and what that means for Hugh Bonneville's character. And uh, in, a, in a blatant case of life imitating art, the B plot, if you like, is about Downton being used as the backdrop for a movie. Yes, and you have the cinema coming to Downton and a lot of, I suppose, hilarity ensues when you have people like Carson going, they're going to make a film here in Downton. Yeah, this stuff writes itself, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. I well, we, we 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 won't worry about what I thought for now. So, what did oh, you make? Oh, 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 no, I, was, I, I was going to say that I I actually really liked, even though it might be a rip off of some other movies. I really liked the way that aspect of the story was handled. The the movies coming to doubt, and I thought that that succeeded more than I thought it would. You know. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Julian Fellows wrote, um, "What was the name of the the um, like pre Denton?" Uh, Oh God, the name Gosford Park. Gosford Park, yeah, and that kind of touched on on something similar yeah. as well. So he's he's going back to the well. And um, I mean, we're I'm a huge Downton fan. I think yes. you're 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 you, you you're a fan as well, aren't you? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Great so, TV. First thing to say is this is it's still lovely and it's charming and it's very easygoing mm. and none none of the problems are big ones and everything is uncomplicated and really that's what you want from a Downton movie. Um, I think the first thing that struck me here is that uh, Julian Fellows, he's running out of characters that can be married off. I don't think there's anybody left. Even Daisy is Daisy is happily married, which kind of leads me to my first niggling problem with this, which is that um, everyone now is getting on so well that there's very little drama. Um, you know, having spent years tearing strips off each other, Lady Mary and Edith have patched things up and they're they're not at, at each other's throats anymore. And even Thomas Barrow, the, the longtime pantomime villain, is now a reformed character. Um, so there's no conflict, which is all very, very nice and very pleasant. But I do miss a bit of the old drama. Yes, but did you not think there was conflict and drama in the fact that they were going to France and there was some strange story about inheritance and then also the inherent drama of how this film being made at Downton was going to pan out? I mean, that was pretty dramatic. Plus, there is also, and I'm really careful not to give spoilers because it's a big yeah. one, but let's say there is significant character depletion as the story goes on. So I thought there was plenty <laughs> of drama. Yeah, I, I just think what, what, what drama there is here, it, it feels a bit inconsequential. Um, there are occasional bits that are quite moving, as as you've said, but I, for me, it doesn't quite tug the heartstrings in the same way as the, as the series did. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the, the problem with a movie as opposed to a TV series is that if you introduce some big bit of drama, you can let it develop over a longer period on TV, but with a movie, it has to be resolved. And there are there are things that are introduced here that are resolved so quickly that you wonder what the point of it was, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I suppose I could see what you're saying. Uh, that, that was less of a quibble for me. Here's another thing, though. Dominic yeah. West uh, is sure. the guy who comes in to be the lead uh, in this movie that they're going to make. He's an actor. Abbey. He's, yeah, he's an actor. Sorry, that's a long way of saying he's an actor, <laughs> but he plays an actor. In this. <laughs> I thought he was great as the kind of charming, slightly mischievous, twinkle in his eye kind of guy, which maybe isn't, you know, that far a leap. I thought he was great. I do. And it, it, I mean, I suppose it's now this is the, it's different for Downton, which it could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. No, he is good. And that whole 
thing about the difference between a silent movie actor mm. and a, and then you know the, the the looming talkies arriving at, at, at in the 1930s and where that leaves everybody um no he was really good and laura haddock who who's the 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 the, the female actor yeah. in, the, in, in the silent movie she, i mean there's there's a good bit of comedy there as well um I think the the danger with going back to the well. This is the second big screen movie now. Um, I think you run the risk of of ruining a good thing, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that that is happening, but I think it's getting close. Um, the the first Downton movie, it was exactly what you would want from a Downton movie, which was it was like a really good Christmas special. And yeah, no, nothing was really changed or messed with too much. Um, uh, so you know, it got away with it, but it also provided a really nice ending to the whole saga and it gave everyone a, a happy sending off i i just i'm i'm i question the i i don't know if it's such a great idea to keep doing it though you know i'm not sure how much longer they're going to be able to get away with 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 doing it so did you think the rivets were starting to show in this one i'll tell you this is going to sound weird but i'll try and explain it i think it it's there's too much change from what where it was as a tv series um uh, part of Denton's charm was its unchanging nature. And um, there was something very, very comforting. It, over the course of five years, the TV series it established a very, very definite look and feel. Mm. Um, and that went f- beyond just the, the, the location and the bricks and mortar of Denton or the period costumes. It was even down to stuff like the cinematography. Was, it was lush, but it was very, very simple. And the camera didn't move much. And also the, the musical score, it was it was it reused the same uh, light motifs over and over again. Um, mm. And the first movie stuck very, very closely to that, that lookbook that had been established. And the first movie's director, Michael Engler had directed a number of episodes. So he, he was familiar with that, that look and feel, but I think this uh, new era, um, it feels more removed from that. And the music has kind of been updated. And also the cinematography is it's, it's more dynamic. And this is going to sound like a really, stupid criticism but i think it's too it's too cinematic wow okay that's interesting i'm getting my head around that but you see like i i know what you're saying that they that they've updated certain things but well there's two things one that's you know how you move the story forward i guess but also i don't know i got the sense that downton fans would be very pleased by this because yes they do go off to france and maybe the cinematography is a bit different but it's still very much in the big house a lot of it you know what i mean and funny i was saying to alan leach earlier in my show that when i sat down and the music came on near the start of it i was just i was like comfort it was a monday morning i was in a bath of warm nostalgia so yes they have changed things a bit but i still think the downton abbey's fans of which i am one are going to be pretty pleased with this all in all they are. I mean, and if I, like, I, I don't know what non-fans would make of it, but I mean, I don't know why a non-fan would be going to this anyway. Yeah. Um, well, one no, thing, one thing that I thought was great in it, right? I have to say, is yeah. I thought the dialogue was as sharp as ever, and there were some great lines from Maggie Smith and from Michelle Dockery, and also from Dominic West, who, who was a new character but really fit in in Downton. You know. Yeah. No, that 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 aspect of it did work. And uh, the the movie stuff was was a good in, introduction. Um, I think if it's going to continue, um, I think Julian Fellows is going to have to make some some adjustments. Mm. Um, first of all, he I think that, that, that it's too. I just did find it a bit. It was very bitty and episodic and stop starty. And I think that was due to the fact that you know half the cast are are, 
off in the south of France. Um, I know you said that that worked, but I just I don't know. I think it's okay. you want you want everyone at Downton really. Um, the, the, he he needs to bring back a bit of drama, and he insta- needs to bring back some conflict. I think um, the character I think that needs reselling the most is is one of the best characters. It's Michelle Dockery's Lady Mary. She's gone from a main character to a supporting one. And she does seem a bit lost in all of this because she's got nothing left to rage against. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I do. I do actually know what you mean. But what I do agree with you is like, I, I do think they should stop or, 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 or they should make another series as opposed to another movie. Like I think it yeah. might be time to halt the movies, you know? Yeah. But, I, I, yeah. I, I, I'd be, I, I would agree with that as well. Mm. I think, I think you might be right there. I think something was going to have to be done about the Matthew Good problem as well. Uh, Matthew Good plays Lady Mary's second husband, Henry Talbot. Mm. And he was, he was largely absent from the the first movie. I think he showed yeah. up for about thirty seconds at the end to pick up his paycheck. He's off racing cars, don't he's, you know? He's completely absent from this one. Yeah. He's off in Istanbul looking at cars. Yeah. So you know, some that is gonna to have to be addressed. Yeah, no, absolutely. And listen then, so this was the only cinema release this week, if I'm not mistaken, right? As far as I'm aware, yeah. yeah. I mean, I couldn't find anything else. <laughs> no, but I just mean, this is clearly, you know, this is a flagpole movie for the year ahead. So, I mean, the it's studio huge, are banking yeah. on a lot of people going to see this. Yeah, it's huge. I'm sure they will. The so, first movie the first movie did Gangbusters. Yeah, so. no, it did. And I think this will as well. I actually enjoyed this movie as much as the sec- as the first one, I have to say. Mm. So, what would you say stars-wise? Um, I'm going to give it three and a half. It's still Downton, but you know, with, with reservations. Mm, yeah. I'm going to give it three and a half as well, because it was, it was a pleasant romp, which I pretty much thoroughly enjoyed. Um, mm. would recommend anyone go see it in the cinema. If you're a Downton Abbey fan, let's take a quick clip. I hope you'll enjoy your stay. <clears throat> your butler lends a welcomer of splendor to the proceedings. But he can stand down if you prefer. Why? When the villa already belongs to your granddaughter. Lady Baxhoe, please come and sit here. I am so sorry. I lay down for five minutes, shut my eyes, and that was it. I was gone. (laughs) Welcome to the Villa of the Doves. You must come here a lot. We do. Or rather, we did, before you entered our lives. Always in the winter, for as long as I can remember. But now, coming in the warmer months is catching on. I'm planning an article on that. You're a writer, Lady Exxon? More of a journalist, I'm afraid. I have a magazine, and I'm taking back control of it. What's your article about? Oh, uh, Scott Fitzgerald, Zelda, Coco Chanel, all the people that got the hotels to stay open in July. Can I publish some pictures of the villa? Might that be possible? Of course. If we can see the images before you use them. Oh, you're obviously not the first journalist he's met. <laughs> <laughs> that was a clip of Downton Abbey, A New Era, which Mark Ryle gave three and a half, and I did also. So that's a pretty good thumbs up from both of us. Mark, thank you again, as always. Thanks, John. No, I should say, I said there was no other new releases. There is an interesting documentary out this week, which I haven't seen, called The Velvet Queen, all about a snow leopard in the Himalayas. It's been getting great reviews. A friend of mine in News Talk alerted me to it. I didn't get any info about it, so I haven't seen it. Apparently, it's very good. So there may be more of that anon. But just to clarify, that is another new release this week, albeit a documentary. Anyway, up next, Eamon Dunphy on his favourite movie. 
Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. It's that stage of the week where we talk to someone well-known about their favourite movie. My next guest I have been reading and listening to, uh, not to make him feel old, but since I was about the age of 15 and I'm no spring chicken, it's an absolute delight to welcome Eamon Dunphy. Eamon, how are you, sir? I'm fine, thanks, John. Everything good. Good. Listen, your favourite movie, uh, you've already told me, but will you tell our listeners what it is and why, please? Yes, it's um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Ah. Uh, Jack Nicholson, uh, who, you know, I love. I think his work is brilliant. And there are a number of his films that could have qualified. But I thought um, on all levels, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was, was brilliant. I think it won five Oscars for Best Screenplay, he for uh, Nicholson himself, um, and the cast. The casting was brilliant. Nurse Ratchet and uh, yeah. the whole idea of it. Uh, the lunatics taking over the asylum, <laughs> uh, which has happened <laughs> in quite a few places. So I I loved it. I I love Jack Nicholson's stuff anyway, um, but that was just memorable on so many levels. Yeah. And, you know, the armchair psychologist in me can't help but point out that, you know, it's kind of an anti-authority, anti-establishment movie. Jack Nicholson's character, who's pretending to be mentally deranged just to get into this place and get out of prison. But does that appeal to you that, you know, you've you've had your own run-ins with authority? Yeah, Yeah, it was sort of throwing uh, the boss out the window Yeah, um, and getting the guys liberating them really from the mm. tyranny of the regime uh and in the end um the humor in it the writing the acting the the idea of it um mm. you know they wanted to watch the world series yeah and they wanted to sort of uh loosen up the system yes i think it would i mean it's he's such a great actor yeah, uh, even when he's playing Jack, another variation of Jack Nicholson, <laughs> playing yeah. Batman or something. But he's, he, I just finished a, a biography that was written about him a couple of months ago, and it was really, it's really interesting. He's eighty five. He was eighty five yeah. uh, in the recent times, um, and I'm not sure how much work he'll do again. But there's a whole load of films that he did. Five Easy Pieces, mm. another one that that are classics in their own way and his, his he is a very appealing character he's incredibly cool as well and you might know this but i read this thing he said recently where he said the problem with america is too many young men have flat stomachs <laughs> i just yeah. thought that's that's a brilliant way of looking at the world yeah yeah he's a interesting uh, character um he's from new jersey originally mm-hmm. and um you know he he came up the hard way, but he's he's also a, a basketball fan at the yeah. Lakers. Uh, he goes to every game, um, and uh, but his films are absolutely wonderful. He often he can play anything, but he often yeah. plays a very, usually plays a variation of what you imagine he's really like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just finally on Cuckoo's Nest, I mean, we're kind of not joking about it, but there's a, there's a lot of humor in it, but there's also a lot of 
sadness in it as well. Yes. There's a horrific scene where, you know, I don't give a spoiler, but most people have seen it. He's in essence lobotomized. And then yes. there's this gorgeous piece with the chief at the end who kind of liberates everyone. I mean, there's a, yes. it's very emotional film as well. It is very poignant and emotional. As I say, as I said earlier, John, it works on so many levels. Mm. It, it isn't just the humor. Uh, it, it's poignant. Um, and very, very real. It's a fantastic, it's based on a novel actually that was published mm -hmm. in 1962. I just checked it and, and one flew over the cookies nest wasn't made in, wasn't made into a movie until mid seventies. Uh, but it's, it's, um, it's a great achievement and, uh, yeah, even would be no trouble now to spend, uh, time watching it again and again. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I've seen yeah, it yeah. Well, that would. Times. That will be time well spent. And just in terms of your own, you know, watching movies and TV habits, I mean, one assumes, well, I know you watch a lot of sport. I know you watch a lot of political shows and stuff. Do, I mean, do you have a Netflix account? Do you watch much television? Yeah, we have a Netflix account. Um, but Netflix is kind of, is not great. Um, and a lot of stuff you'd want to see isn't there. And it's kind of, I think... Um, we don't use it really. I think we're thinking okay. of uh, getting rid of it because it's okay. not good. Um, okay. Uh, if that's not, if if I'm permitted to say that, absolutely. I, I, watch I have no paymasters. <laughs> I watch a lot of sport and I watch a lot of current affairs, and politics, uh, news uh, programs because yeah. I'm interested in those things. Um, sometimes we'll watch a movie uh, or a documentary. And we kind of record them and watch them later. So, mm. but not a lot of movies. Uh, okay. I'm not a big movie watcher, but my wife uh, is a big movie watcher and she's worked in that area um, of television and uh, film. So um, I have my um, sports emporium <laughs> <laughs> where all the bad stuff goes on and she has the art house upstairs very good well, it's quite the, it's quite the picture you paint domestic bliss in your two rooms yeah. listen I want to ask you about the stand but just en route to that I'm going to cheat and ask you a football question if you'll permit me yeah uh, I'm a lifelong Evertonian and my, my family bleed blue and we're bleeding a lot at the moment yeah. I, I'm just wondering like I know it's a massive question well two things and I'm afraid of the answer you'll give me one is do you think we're going to go down? And two, like, in quickly, what do you think the problem has been? I mean, we've spent 500 poxy million in the last yeah. few years. And here we are, as things stand talking to today, we're in 17th place, 18th place, actually. I, like, I can't fathom it. What, what do you think the problem is? I think they were unlucky. I think the, the, the money was wasted. Um, and you can see from the way Liverpool have bought wisely as opposed to Everton or indeed Manchester United, mm -hmm. uh, recruitment, uh, getting the right people, getting value for money is very important. And Everton didn't. Um, and now Calvert-Lewin has been injured all season. Yeah, I think they made a mistake getting rid of Rafa Benitez. I think really? Benitez was a, is a top-class coach and would have had the know-how uh, to save them. Okay. Uh, I, I think Frank Lampard is a good coach, but he's had the Chelsea experience, um, which is you don't get to stay there very long. Yeah. I, I think Everton are in trouble. Mm. Um, and I, I thought their performance against Liverpool last week was very bad. They were wasting time from the first minute. 
and that's not a good way to go into a game. Yeah, um, and your man was lying on the ground for half yeah, the match. Yeah, Richardson was lying on the ground. The goalkeeper was falling on the ball. Yeah, it was pitiful. You have to fight. And the mm. question about Everton is, have they got? I think Frank Lampard said the bollocks for yeah. it. That's the word he used. Um, if you forgive me swearing, and I I don't know if they do. And Richardson mm. would be a good example of that. Calvert Lewin is injured again. Yeah. So I think the mistake was to perhaps panic uh, and get rid of Rafa. If Rafa Benitez can't keep you up, then no one can. Would yeah. be. Um, okay. I think the situation there. Okay. Okay. Well, f- fair enough. Thank you for your candor, even though I don't want to hear it. And listen, finally, then the stand. Now it's been wildly successful. I, I was saying to someone, the, and I listened, so I'm not lying to you, which is great. Yeah, I can actually talk you. to you about episodes. But uh, I was saying to someone the other day, a phrase I hate people saying to me is, "I think I'm going to do a podcast because." You yeah. know this as well as I do. There's so many of them out there. And the simple truth of the case is a lot of them are just plain crap, right? Yours, yeah. and it's a good few years old now. Is it four years you're doing it? Six, I think. Six. Six. We started wow. in 2016, so about five and a half. It's, yeah, okay. Um, it but took yet, us a long time. Is it first mover advantage? I, I'm wondering why has it worked so well? Why has it been so successful? Well, um, good guests um, mm. and... Uh, that's the hard part, especially when you have a podcast, because there's a there's an impression still there, although it's now uh, are being regularized, that podcasts aren't really anything, and it's two guys in a room or two girls <laughs> in a room, and they're just plugging it in and uh, talking. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, so uh, to get big time journalists uh, to contribute, for example. Uh, could be difficult, but we've established ourselves now, um, and we uh, have a mix of sport, current affairs, uh, and some very good uh, contributors. Yeah. So that's really uh, how the stand works. Uh, there are people with more listeners, but we have. Um, I think we see ourselves as, um, you know, um, a. <laughs> an upmarket podcast <laughs> in that we do foreign stories. We're going to do a story about what's happening in COVID in China, uh, which at this moment, which is absolutely fascinating. We'll be doing that on Monday or Tuesday next mm-hmm. week. So uh, we t- we took chances to build a broad base um, and um, we're happy. And, yeah. you know, uh, thanks for listening and thanks for the mention. Not at all, not at all. So that is The Stand, which is available on all good podcast platforms. His favourite movie is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, and I don't say this often, but he is a legend who I've been listening to all my life, and it's a real pleasure, Eamon, to have you on my show. Thanks a million. Thank you very much, Jan. Jesus, I mean, you guys do nothing but complain about how you can't stand it in this place here, and then you haven't got the guts just to walk out? I mean, what do you think you are, for Christ's sake, crazy or something? Mm-hmm. Well, you're not. You're not. You're no crazier than the average asshole out walking around on the streets, and that's it. The unmistakable sound of Jack Nicholson there in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The favourite movie of the one and only Eamon Dunphy. And my thanks to Eamon Dunphy for joining me this week on the show. That is it for this week. My thanks to Anne-Marie Kane, who helped out on the show. 
This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. And it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm right here on Newstalk. If you want to get in touch with me at any stage, please do so. You can email me screentime at Newstalk.com or you can tweet me, John underscore Fardy. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and have a safe week ahead.